Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. And we're coming to you live from Bay of Islands Radio in Almatuswick. It's uh, been an important week for Mi'kmaq people and for Alibu applicants. We have uh, federal court decisions in two matters and dismissal of the Douglas Doucette matter. Some good news, some bad news. The good news is in the litigation brought by the Mi'kmaq First Nations Assembly of Newfoundland, and we're joined by their lawyer, Jamie Lickers from Gowlings WLG in Hamilton, Ontario. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Glenn. First of all, congratulations on the decision from Justice Zinn. Thank you so much. We're very happy with the decision that we received from the court this week. Now, how did you uh, get the decision? Uh, those of us uh, ordinary people uh, uh, found it uh, online. Did you get a heads up from the court that the decision was out and uh, any advance uh, any advance warning? We did. It's not as ceremonious as as people might expect or as you would see on television, but we did receive advance notice from the federal court on Monday that we should expect the decisions of the court by noon on Tuesday. Um, in actuality, we did not receive the decisions until about 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday, so it, the morning of Tuesday seemed like a, a very, very slow uh, time. Time was passing extremely slowly, and then we didn't receive the decisions until uh, well after noon, but we did know that they were coming, and so we had a bit of time to prepare for the outcome. Right, and I, I assume they came by, by email. They come by fax, actually. It's a little bit old school oh, still. Yes. And so you you sat down, and, uh, of course, you rush through to the end to see what the decision is, and then you go back and, and read a little more closely. And what was your what was your... What was your feeling after you you um, you had uh, seen what Justice Zinn's conclusions were? Well, obviously, we were quite happy to see the decision with regard to two points specifically. The first point being that the requirement that applicants who applied for membership after the date of the recognition order that they supply evidence that they self-identified from June of 2008 or earlier that obviously the court uh, held was unreasonable. We were quite happy to see that decision. We were also successful on the point we had argued, which was that the removal of the right of those applicants to appeal was unreasonable and, and unfounded, and the court agreed with us on, on that point as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, I suppose the the major disappointment is that the supplemental agreement itself survived. That uh, Justice Zinn found that that was a reasonable uh, way for the parties F and I uh, and Canada to respond to what he accepted was a defect in the in the original agreement. Um, so um, as uh, as uh, Dave Wells said, it's a dent in the supplemental agreement, but uh, it itself survives. That's right. And it it wasn't an entirely surprising decision from the court on that front. 
there were strong arguments that the federal government and the FNI made in terms of why they considered that particular provision to be a defect or an inconsistency in the original agreement. And if you look at it from a very straightforward perspective, the requirement in the original agreement was that individuals self-identify as Mi'kmaq before the date of the recognition order. And that date became September 22, 2011. So signing an application form on September 23rd, it's difficult to say that that would evidence that you self-identified on September 22nd. So while we were disappointed with that ruling, it also wasn't, wasn't entirely a surprise that the court upheld that as an inconsistency in the agreement. Uh, I, I guess what we're, we're trying to figure out now, what are, what are the implications? Uh, there has been no, um, no word from FNI slash Halibu on, um, on what they think of the, of the decision and what the, what the implications are and the next steps, and no word from Canada. Um, have, have you as, as counsel had any contact from Canada or FNI counsel following the decision? I have not had a chance to speak with, with opposing counsel on these matters, and, and I suspect that they're very much doing what we have been doing over the last couple of days, which is turning our minds to, to the exact reasoning in the decision and thinking about what sort of implications the decision has on the process going forward. I suspect it will take some time for the federal government and the FNI to sit down to determine what the best way is to go forward to implement the court's decision and to make sure that they do it in a fair and transparent manner. Mm -hmm. And uh, would you expect that there will be council-to-council uh, discussions or will, um, uh, in advance of any official announcement from uh, FNI in Canada, or will it will their position come via a news release uh, to the world? I would suspect that we will have discussions privately first. Uh, the parties to these these cases agreed that that both Wells cases would be treated as test cases, and there were parameters set around what those test cases would look like. Obviously, the goal of agreeing to treat the Wells cases as test cases was to prevent the need for 50-plus thousand people to file individual judicial review applications. That would, would not be in anyone's best interest, and it wouldn't be in the interest of, of fostering judicial economy. Yes. Um, so uh, you uh, were quoted in the Western Star today, and I recall the number of people affected uh, uh, I think it was uh, in the uh, 57,000, I recall the number being, um, as people who might um, ha have a chance to, um, to, be, to have their applications considered in an enrollment process. Um, so, and of course, um, this comes as the, the federal government is, uh, is finalizing the founding members list, which we've been advised will will be passed by order and council uh, late spring, um, early summer, which is about now. Um, so uh, would you think uh, your prediction was that the enrollment process would have to stop and, though, and that that founding members list would not be finalized? Is that what is that what your conclusion is uh, following the decision? Yes, and I don't see how the parties could finalize a founding members list with the, with the Wells decision that was issued by the federal court this week. 
uh, two of two of the amendments that were made in the supplemental agreement have been held by the court to be unreasonable. And one of those amendments in particular is going to affect, as you say, uh, around 57,000 individuals who were rejected on the basis of that criteria, which has now been held by the court to be unreasonable. So at a, at a bare minimum, I would expect that the parties to the agreement will provide those individuals with an opportunity to submit additional documentation up to the date of the recognition order to prove that they did self-identify before the date the band came into existence. And then, of course, that additional documentation will have to be evaluated by the Enrollment Committee, not to mention the fact that the court also held that the removal of their appeal rights was unreasonable. So thereafter, there would have to be a period for the processing of appeals on those decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh- the impression we get is the federal government wants to uh, have the founding members list finalized as soon as possible. And, of course, the, the Halibu Band itself, with elections looming in uh, in October, wants the 10,512 people gone, because uh, I would think they would not want them voting uh, in the elections. Uh, if they were to say, okay, we'll... Uh, we'll uh, finalize the founding members lists, and we'll we'll add to if um, if other people um, are, have their applications um, approved. Now that uh, the self ID matter has been considered by Justice Zinn, would you think that's a possibility to have a founding members list and add to that list uh, as people are have their applications reviewed? That's definitely a possibility. And to be fair, I don't think it's in anyone's best interests, including those individuals who are currently members of the band, um, to have this process delayed any more than is necessary. I think where where the parties are going to want to be very careful and and concerned with protecting the process is that the removal of, of the names of individuals from the existing band list is a subject of, of outstanding litigation. I understand that there is an existing piece of litigation being advanced by the Friends of Halipu. The Mi'kmaq First Nations Assembly of Newfoundland has also filed a subsequent judicial review application, which will specifically address the community acceptance criteria and the point system. Uh, that that system has not yet been tested in court because, of course, we had to wait for final decisions since those individuals had rights of appeal. Mm-hmm. So that judicial review application was filed very recently with the federal court, and that, I think, is where, where the situation could get quite tricky if the federal government removes names of individuals from, from the existing band list before those matters are settled. Because potentially we would have people having originally received their status, having lost their status, and then getting their status back again, potentially, depending on what happens in this in this litigation. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, can you tell us about the status of the uh, of the uh, Mi'kmaq First Nations Assembly case? It's the Justin Abbott case that uh, Mifnan has uh, that deals with uh, community ex- acceptance and um, and uh, uh, is that uh, are you dealing with that matter and is that in the system? Yes, it's it's in the system. It, obviously, that judicial review application could not be filed until the appeal period ended and individuals had received the final decision from the appeal master. So those applications were filed back, I want to say, in the beginning of March, 
and it was agreed between the parties at that time that the application would be held in abeyance pending the outcome of the Wells matters. At that time, it was quite conceivable that the decision from the federal court on the Wells cases it could have made the subsequent judicial review application completely unnecessary, for example, if the entire supplemental agreement had been struck down. Now, in addition to determining the best way forward to implement the Wells decision, the parties have to turn their minds to how to proceed with this subsequent judicial review application attacking the community acceptance criteria. Hmm. It does seem to be a very complicated situation, and to proceed um, business as usual, as the federal government has said, um, it would seem very difficult with these, uh, with all these unknowns, because um, you know we've, we're having the second version of the founding members list, and I suppose potentially we could have um, one or more other versions as as these things unfold. So, as you say, it's um, it's a very confused situation at the moment. It is, and I think the applicants are, are very confused right now, which is understandable. The decisions were just released in the afternoon of, of Tuesday of this week, so we're about 48 hours from the release of the decisions. Um, and unfortunately, um, folks have a perception that when a matter is resolved through the courts that you get a solution uh, tied up in a, in a nice bow presented to the parties to the litigation, and that isn't always the case. The courts generally avoid prescribing exactly how matters are to be fixed. They'll tell you what's wrong with the process. They'll tell you if something is unfair or unreasonable. In terms of how the decision is implemented, that is really left to the discretion of the parties and the individuals and, and the government actors that are exercising the powers at issue. So unfortunately, and I, I know how patient the applicants have been, this process has been going on since 2008, um, there does have to be just a bit more patience um, expended on this while, while the parties sort out how best to implement the decisions. Yes. Uh, so for those people um, uh, who are directly affected by Justice Inn's uh, uh, decision, uh, the people who were denied on, on self-ID and weren't granted the appeal, uh, for those people, what would you think would be the next steps for them? Uh, I suppose they will hear ultimately from from FNI, the Enrollment Committee, about, about um, opportunities available uh, to them to present further information. That would be uh, what we would expect, I guess, for those, for that group. Uh, obviously, we're, we're speculating here because I don't represent either of the parties to the agreement. But if we look at past practice in an effort to determine how this might be dealt with going forward, you'll recall that following the execution of the supplemental agreement, the parties wrote to all of the applicants and informed them of the changes that had been made and presented the applicants with an opportunity to provide additional information if they felt that it would help their applications. I suspect we will see a similar process following the Wells decisions. Um, it, it's likely that some sort of a press release will be issued, some sort of an information bulletin to applicants explaining the decision and the changes that are, that are being made to implement the decision. And I would expect that the applicants who were rejected 
for failing to meet the self-identification criteria who applied after the date of the recognition order would be given a certain amount of time to gather and collect additional documentation that could support their applications. They will have a deadline for submitting that information and a certain amount of time will be required for the Enrollment Committee to reassess those applications. Yes. Well, Jamie, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your work on this matter. And um, no doubt we'll be talking again as, uh, as matters unfold. So, so thank you very much. It's always a, p- a pleasure, Glenn. Bye for now. Bye-bye. And that's it for the show. Thanks to Kira Manuel here at BOIR. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Voice of Bombay and in St. John's. Tune in on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.